What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Out War, episode number 103. Mm-hmm. I'm in the studio with Rosie and with Rachel. What's up, guys? How y'all doing? Good to be here. Hey. Good to see you guys. Rosie lit ladies first. Yes, always. <laughs> it's Super Bowl <laughs> Sunday mm-hmm. for those of you that matter. February 21 or 2021, I should mm-hmm. say. What's today's date? The 7th, I think it is. Yep. February 7th. All day. All day long. And uh, we're recording this on Super Bowl Sunday earlier. So I can go. I don't know if you guys care about the Super Bowl. I, I watch it. I always have. Mm. Yeah. Um, Rachel, <laughs> you live kind of close to uh, Tampa. Or is is are people like big big time excited about it down there uh well i don't live close to tampa but oh. <laughs> I thought people you are like... excited about it down here i live about eight or nine hours away <laughs> it's not no way yeah is it that far yeah yeah for sure yeah oh, you know we're what? like yeah we're super close to alabama so okay everybody's I... like well, yeah you guys go to disney nope no we don't i used to live close to somewhat to tampa but it was still like an hour and a half away so when I go, she's nowhere. Okay, yeah, well that's so far away. Well, you just reminded me because when I went on vacation back in August, we go down to uh, Bradenton Beach, or or it's like uh, uh, Holmes Beach is what it's called, mm. and uh, it's it's like um, maybe thirty five minutes away from Tampa, mm. like south of up Tampa. the coast, down, down the coast. Yeah. coast. Yeah, yeah, it's on the Gulf, and uh, I was like so excited when we were going there because we drove this last time because of the the pandemic, and um, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to call Andrew and Rachel, see if they want to come down. And I remember you were like, yeah, it's kind of like a long ways away. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, dude, look, I drove 12 and a half hours. You can drive eight, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that weird? You it drove from weird. D.C. and it only took you four more hours than it took her inside the state. One of the, That's mm-hmm. one of the things is Texas. A huge state. Yeah, I f- did not realize how big Florida was. Yeah, you do not realize how big Texas is either, which is just insane. Or California either. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always huge. forget that. I feel like yeah, it's just massive drive down, right? Three hours away, and you're down in a different state. Yeah, from here, yeah, you know? yeah, from here, four hours, you can be in North Carolina. So, yeah. or Connecticut, there. like or, or Connecticut. To, yeah. yeah, you can be in New York in like five hours. So yeah, it's pretty cool how um, big that state is. But yeah, so. Anyway, so I guess people are excited because you are somewhat yeah, close. I think so. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's all college. It's all college football. You got to remember down I know. in Florida. It's are you a Gator? Right. You're a Hurricane. And now it's UCF. Are you a Seminole? Are yeah. you a Knight? Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Are no. you a mm-hmm. UFC or UCF? UCF, UCF Knights. Yeah. yeah, the Knights. My alma mater. Oh yeah, that's right. I left the. My senior year was a year we lost literally every single game. <laughs> like literally every single game next year they brought in the new coach and we won the bowl you know my favorite player from ucf the guy with one hand no he's cool too but yeah. i like him uh alfred morris he didn't go to ucf yeah he did no he went to uh fau i think you sure? Florida atlantic yeah. oh that's right he did go to fau yeah. that's right okay never mind you he's know right. i think they're back down in our neck of the woods what's that i think i'm pretty sure Al- alfred morris and his wife. Okay. Oh, are they back? back yeah, they. No, because he's in New York. He's in New York. He uh, he oh. he went to Dallas because I met him when he played for the Redskins here. Because mm. he used to he used to hang out with our young adult ministry. Remember, he came and shared with yes. us. And uh, mm-hmm. I actually have his phone number in my phone, which is kind of weird. Um, I actually have a handful of Redskins players' phone numbers, which is cool. But um, I would never call them or 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, um, he he went to Dallas when mm. the Redskins cut him, and then he was there for a couple years, and then now he's in New York because when we played when the Redskins played New York oh, this okay. year, he ran all over us the first game. So yeah. Anyways, hey Rosie, what do you know, man? Hey, um, got two for you. Did you know that Mr. Rogers sued the Ku Klux Klan <laughs> and won? That's awesome. Yeah. So basically, a uh, the Missouri chapter. Let me see if I get this right. Yeah, the Missouri chapter of the Ku Klux Klan in the <laughs> '90s used like an imitation of his voice, and then they would call and leave like racist messages on people's <laughs> phones. Stuff like oh, that. That's not funny, but it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, oh man. That's, yeah. So that's they so, so they funny. sued him and they won. He he sued them and he won. Yeah, he sued them. How much did he get? Did he make a lot of money? Oh, I don't didn't disclose that. Oh, right. Yeah, but I think it was like a cease and desist, and they oh, the judge okay. ordered to stop doing it. Did you know that? Uh, did you know that uh, Mr. Rogers was an ordained Presbyterian minister? Did not know that. Yeah, I know he was a sniper in vietnam i want to say <laughs> what yeah he has like a body count he had a body count dude i'm not sure if he was that is amazing you didn't know that no yeah that is amazing yeah he fought in vietnam mr rogers has a body count yeah <laughs> that's so funny you, you really didn't know that <laughs> i had no clue did oh. you know that rage no <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah rogers has a body count dude we didn't mean like write a rap song about that yeah i want to say I'm not seeing now that I'm rethinking it because he was really old. So yeah. it might not have been Vietnam. It might have been Korea. Korea. But I know he fought in one of the wars and he had like a body count. <laughs> and then he becomes this child TV star that's yeah. like mild and teaching him manners. And yeah, that's cool. Yeah. The, the second one. Oh, you got another did you know? <laughs> I, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to say this setup, but I think that would be worse than if I just said it. Um, so did you know that there's a fish called a pearl fish? Um, what was your setup? I'm not going to say what I'm going to say. I'll tell you afterwards. Okay. Uh, so there's this fish called a pearl fish, and it goes um, up the butt of sea cucumbers, oh and it God. lives in there. <laughs> <laughs> What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where did you find that? <laughs> you don't want to know where I found out all my did you notice? Because if you guys knew where I found them. <laughs> you know okay. I mean? Oh my gosh. <laughs> this is PG. This is like an explicit episode. Oh, yeah. Do you want me to just read this one thing? I'm scared. It says, they say home is where the heart is. <laughs> but for the pearl fish, home is more like where the goat at is. <laughs> Because to find shelter, it wiggles up a sea cucumber's anus wiggles. and lives there. <laughs> it wiggles. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so if you want to read more about that, look up the pearl fish. Oh my. I'm getting choked up. You, you okay? Oh, okay. Oh man, I'm like tearing up right now. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Maybe I've just watched enough like Blue Planet and Planet Earth to not be surprised about that. Yeah. Like at all. Uh, like Asher is telling me all these facts, and I'm like, wait, what? What lives where? You y'all don't even want to. I'm I'm not even going to read more. But it goes okay. into how okay. it does defenses that the sea cucumber yeah. has uh, developed over time. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. 
Yeah. Yeah, but that's not for this show. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> oh, was that was a, that was great. That was that was like that. my favorite did you know ever. Oh man. <laughs> oh, and by the way, if the Holy Spirit was a part of this podcast, it's gone now. <laughs> He's like, yo, all right, I'm gonna head out. <laughs> uh hey, speaking of heading out, I um I got a cool gift. We all got a free, or a cool gift, a blessing. We got a blessing from Tricomb. Mm-hmm. Um, they sent us a bunch of beard balm, body balm, and and lip balm, and uh, beard oil. Um, and so, Rachel, how's your beard oil? You like that? <laughs> it's working, honestly. <laughs> Coming in so good. It looks it looks rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's looking good. I never thought you I'm could trying join... to shave the upper lip though. I doing... want to do the Amish Amish style. Okay, mm-hmm. just do the chin strap. You could do like yeah. you, join the circus. You know, I heard that in Florida, <laughs> that's where all the Barman Baileys like retired to. Really? There's Why like... am I not surprised? Yeah, I'm not sure if it was up in Virginia or if it was in Central there Florida. Was, there was a part in Florida in Virginia too. Well, is that Falls where they Church. have the the Midget City? Yeah, Midget City. Okay, yeah. 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 It's hard I to don't... find. I went and looked for it one time in Falls yeah, Church. Can't find. It's hard to find. I could check both boxes. Check both boxes. Yeah. So uh, they sent us this, just a care package. They just, um, I got an email back in December from Joel and uh, it's Joel and Natalie. They, they run Tricome. That's their, their business. And they, uh, and we'll put a, I'm going to put a link in our um, description of this podcast. So if anybody wants to check them out, just bless them. They, they just sent us an email and they just said, Hey, we listen to your podcast. We love you. And, um, we're just, we just wanted, we just wanted to give you, just show you how much we like you, you know? (laughs) And so they sent us a care package and it was just so nice, such a kind gesture. They didn't do it for any advertising or anything like that. Although, you know, if you're listening, we, we're open to a a partnership (laughs) of some kind, (laughs) you know, uh, if it's a business that we like, like for sure, like Kahi coffee, like when we were with Mm -hmm. them before they, before they, um, had to go their separate ways we you know we were really and i still am i'm going to put an order in from from them again here soon but uh but yeah go to tricome check them out they gave us some great the product products are great some so, they gave us some soaps i was using the soap um just really cool mm-hmm. and what a real blessing you know yeah. it was it's just uh and i was gonna say if you check out the store we don't get any money from it this right is just us saying yeah there's we no, like the products and check it out. It's totally not. We don't have a professional relationship with them other than they sent me some product and we use it and I like it. That's that's <laughs> yeah. the extent of it. And I'll probably end up buying some because of that. Me too. You know, but uh, thank you, Tricome. You guys are awesome. And uh, many blessings to you. We love in you. In this new year. Yeah, we love you guys. And they're cool. I follow them on Instagram. They're cool. I mean, yeah. Like uh, Joel has this beard that's just puts, it's real. <laughs> it's like a real man's beard. <laughs> Not like yours, Rosie, which you shorn. Mm-hmm. I you, had to shave it. You cut it down. Yeah. Anyways. Hey, uh, you guys ready for this podcast episode? Mm-hmm. All right. Hey, sit back. Yeah. Grab a coffee and enjoy. You're listening to the All Out War Podcast. That's right. Welcome. Another episode. We're here. 
Okay, guys, this has been an episode in a long time coming. I've been uh, talking about this with you guys for, I don't know, probably almost six, eight months, maybe even a year uh, we've been discussing this. I think it came. the topic came up many, many moons ago when we did our End Time series. If you haven't listened to our End Time series, I'd recommend you go back and check those out um, on the podcast because we cover some of the views that we're going to discuss here today about the end times uh, prophecies and the end time, kind of what the, the calendar might look like for the end times. And in that end time scenario, there is a doctrine within the Christian church called the rapture. And one of the reasons that I've been wanting to do an episode on the rapture for so long is because uh, I myself and many, many truthers that I know, many other, and, and a lot of Christians that I know have moved away from a rapture doctrine and have moved towards a um, a more either a mid or a post tribulational uh, rapture if any rapture at all view and and for the most part they're they're just going doing away with the rapture altogether they say oh it's not it's not in it's not you know it's not accurate it's not for today or whatever so you know, and what's ironic is we, you know, any of these people that don't believe in the rapture, um, you know, they're not like enemies. We're not, it doesn't, it doesn't hinge on your salvation. So it's not a, an essential doctrine for salvation. You know, you don't have to believe in the rapture, you know, um, to go to heaven. And if the rapture is wrong and you do believe in it, you're not going to go to hell. You know what I mean? So it's not one of those doctrines, but scripturally there's a lot of emphasis on this topic believe it or not and a lot of people say well you don't see the word rapture in the bible you don't see it anywhere and all that and i'm just gonna so i'm just gonna walk us through some scriptures and and i'm gonna kind of walk through some of the stuff i've been studying and um, i'm going to attempt at the end of the podcast i'm gonna or, or i shouldn't say at the end in the show notes i'm gonna attempt to load up some of the links for resources that I used. I'll just tell you right now, one of the resources that I came across was a book by by Ken Johnson, and he has his, his doctorate in theology. And uh, Ken Johnson is also a pastor, um, and he has a book that's literally called The Rapture, and you can find it on Amazon. Um, another resource that I found was Dr. Andy Woods, and he is a doc- he is a graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary, and he's also a pastor of a church in Texas. Um, uh, there's a there's a handful of others, and so I'll try and make sure that I put some of these links in there. If you want to do your own research and your own study, I highly recommend that for anything that we talk about. Um, you know, even though I am ordained as a pastor, I may not be your pastor. So, um, you don't want to just... You're not my pastor. (laughs) Right now, I don't know whose pastor I am. (laughs) I'm lucky if my dogs listen to me. Uh, They don't. But, but, you know, I just want, you know, it's always good to do your own research. You know, Rachel has such a a good... um, You've set a great example of that for us when it comes to, like, health freedoms, you know, medical freedoms. You've you've dug into some serious stuff about that, you know, over the years. And so you're very educated and you can cite sources and all that. And, and so in the same way, I would say anything that we talk about on here, um, if you, if, if you don't agree, do your research or if you disagree, you know, it's, it's fine too, but 
just do your research. Don't just take our word for it or my word for it on, on anything, you know. And look, we've been wrong. I'll be wrong on things in the in the future, you know. I don't think I'm wrong about this, though. I just want to say that. <laughs> Letting the cat out of the bag early. I am a what we would call a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture. So uh, I forget where I read it. It was like a pre-pre. <laughs> I'm a yeah. pre-pre-rapture guy. And... And so uh, that's where I'm going to come from the position of trying to defend here. So let me set it up for you. Uh, I want to set this up in such a way that I'm going to talk about the scriptural references first. And that's what I call my strongest argument for the rapture. And then I'm going to move into what I would call um, our, I don't know, it's like, you know how like when you do a password and, and it's like strong, medium, or weak or whatever. So my medium uh, you know, level is going to be um a, a series of other um uh, other th <laughs> let me pull up my notes here because it's better um basically i'm going to try and use church history and um use some other uh areas that are not necessarily scripture that's why they're not as strong always the bible trumps anything that's like the definer and then lastly uh there's some symbolism and some analogy uh, from Second Temple Jewish culture that I'm going to use to try and, and demonstrate what that Jesus was actually uh, telling the church that he, it was going to be a rapture. So, um, and here, here's what I want to do. I want you guys, I want to encourage you guys to just jump in. If you have a comment, a question, anything like that, just cut cut in and we'll we'll work our way through it. How's that? Is that good? Cool. Cool. Okay. Yeah, sounds so, good. All right, so let's start with the definition first. The word rapture, if you've, if you've never heard it, if you say I've never read that in the Bible, um, you have, you just don't realize it. So uh, it, rapture, the word rapture in the English language, it actually comes from the Latin word raptus. Raptus comes from the Greek word in the original language of the word um, for, to be caught up, and it's harpazo. Arpazo. So it's found in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. This is what that verse says. It says, it says, Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, that's the word, harpazo, caught up, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And so the Greek word for caught up there is the word harpazo, and when the reason why the word raptus comes in there is because when they when they uh, put together the Latin Vulgate of the Bible, they took the Greek and they translated it into the common language of Latin. You know, that's the Vulgate is where we get our word vulgar, right? It's just common language of Latin, and the word for harpazo in the Greek translates in Latin to raptus, which in the English translates to rapture. Now, the reason why you don't see the word rapture in your modern English Bibles is because we're not taking our translation from the Latin anymore. We're going from the Greek to the English. So it's really the Latin translation of the Greek word is where we get our word rapture, and it's harpazo. And it, the definition of the Greek word harpazo means this. It means to seize, to carry off by force, to seize upon, to claim for oneself eagerly, or to snatch out or away. So those words right there alone, if you think about the whole idea of what harpazo, the Greek word, means, it means to snatch away, to seize, to, 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 to I just love it, to claim for oneself eagerly. And so 
uh, and we're going to look at this verse, these verses in First Thessalonians, a little bit closer because um, it's going to be helpful for us to understand this this doctrine of of the uh, of the rapture. So it comes from a Greek. To it's basically a it's a it's a chain a, a translation chain that goes from Greek to Latin to English. And so, and just a little side note there that word harpazo, um, the English word harpoon is where that comes from. And so if you think about what a harpoon does, you're going to you're going to send a harpoon down like when you're fishing, right? You know, you harpoon down, you snag a fish and you pull it back up, right? Uh that's kind of like what the rapture is going to be like. So, yeah. we'll we'll talk about that as well. So, I just thought that was kind of cool. So, the word rapture is actually in the Bible. It's just not in your modern English Bible. It's in the Latin Vulgate Bible. And in the Greek, even though it's not rapture, because that wasn't a Greek word, it was a it was harpazo. It means that it means that definition means to be carried away, snatched away, or taken away. So, in the Bible, as we move on to our stronger, you know, defense of the rapture, the Bible, the book of the Bible, First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, are very important in this concept of the rapture. Uh, we're also going to look at for, at John, and we're also going to look at First Corinthians a little bit, and then also I'm going to reference Daniel and Revelation. And um, so what I want to do is kind of paint a timeline picture for you, and then hopefully I can walk through with some coherency for us. But I just want to um, just give you a background real quick on the books of First and Second Thessalonians. They're very small epistles of the Bible written by Paul in the New Testament. And do you remember when we had Dr. Olson on, um, for, yeah. you know, episode 33, I think it was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 33, there it is, 33. Um, he says this in his intro. He, he gave me a um, translation of the New Testament because he was a Greek scholar. At, he was a G- Greek teacher at Liberty. And this is what he says in reference to First and Second, first and second Thessalonians. He says in First Thessalonians, he goes, Paul... This is Paul's, or Paul first wrote the church of Thessalonica from Athens upon sending Timothy back not long after he had founded that church, thus making it the earliest of his inspired writings. It's actually um, one of the earliest that he's written, uh, books that he wrote was First Thessalonians. Second, the second letter was written shortly after the first since the intervening time. Some messages supposedly from Paul confused them by claiming that there was a persecution that they were experiencing was the judgment day of the Lord, and they had missed the rapture of the church he had taught personally to them in the first letter, while affirming the judgment nature of the return of Christ in chapter 1, verses 4 through 10, he clarifies that our gathering together unto him will precede this judgment in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Then he contrasts the deception of wickedness with the godly lifestyle of the true believer of true believers in Christ. So he says in his introduction to First and Second Thessalonians that Paul sets up the doctrine of the rapture in First Thessalonians, and after he sets up the doctrine of the rapture, he writes that letter and sends it to them, and then uh, about six months later he's going to write Second Thessalonians to them, and when he before he writes Second Thessalonians, uh, another letter comes from other supposed apostles telling them that they had missed the rapture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're not going to hear that taught very much, but that is exactly what was happening there. Um, when you look at the timeline of the books for First, De- First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians, 
Um, so you have from a chronological chronological standpoint of the Apostle Paul, you have Galatians was written around 49 A.D. First and Second Th- Thessalonians were both written in 51 A.D. So it was his second epistles. So these were actually penned. Some of them were penned um, a little bit bit before even the Gospel of John was written. So uh, it's pretty cool. Very how, early. Yeah, yeah, it was very early. And so what I'm trying to establish is that, you know, in my second point of here is that it was in church history, the, the rapture was actually something that was uh, believed upon by the early church in a, on a regular ba- as a regular basis. It wasn't something that was foreign uh, to them. It was actually believed upon uh, by them, and it was attacked by those trying to infiltrate the church, and that's why I call it a doctrine. You know, for me, it's a doctrine. It's a, a doctrine is something that's a stance of the church, right? You have all kinds of different doctrines of the church um, that have been established throughout the years. And I believe this rapture to be one of those doctrines that God wanted to establish the church upon. So you have First and Second Thessalonians. Let's look at First Thessalonians real quick and read that uh, section that he was talking about there in chapter uh, 5. And I'll just read it real quick, First Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, Now concerning how and when this will all happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you, and I'm actually reading from the NLT on this, by the way. It says, we don't really need to write to you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. It goes on to say, but you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like the thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and when and it is the time when people, uh, people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. And then this is important. For God chose to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. And this is an important aspect that we need to understand about the rapture. What is the purpose of the tribulation period? Because we talked about, I'm a pre, I'm a pre-trib, uh, pre-millennial Christian. That's what my doctrine is. And so, what that means is that pre-tribulational means that there is a period in Revelation chapter six, when God, you know, John's speaking to Jesus, and he Jesus breaks the seals open, and he begins what we call the judgment or the wrath of God, the tribulation of God on the earth, and. And what that is, is that's going to be a series of like unbelievable carnage, death, warfare, famine, natural disasters. I mean, when you read it, it's horrible. It's like a terrible, terrible sci-fi dystopian movie or something. And we know that about a third of the earth is going to perish during the tribulation time. So out of, you know, 7 billion people, we're going to have over a billion people are going to die. It's going to be, it's going to be very, very um, traumatic. And what is the purpose of the rapture? And what is the purpose of this wrath, you know, this judgment? 
And that is that is going to, if we establish that and we understand what that is, then we'll understand why the church will escape this judgment. And, and it'll help us establish and understand the rapture more clearly. So here's what, here's how it lays out for us. God has opened up, he starts with the Jews. He always starts with the Jews. Abraham uh, was, you know, the first of faith and he was the father of the Jews, you know, and, and, and so, they, you know, when Jesus had his ministry, he even said, you know, you call Abraham your father, you know, and he said, no, he's not your father, Satan's your father, <laughs> right? Because they were denying the promised Messiah that was given, that was going to be given to them. So God first was seeking to bring, you know, salvation to the Jews, right? And so as he was bringing salvation to the Jews, Jesus was the was the Messiah that he was going to bring to them. They rejected him. So because they rejected him, Paul tells us in Romans that God puts basically stops focusing on the Jews and he focuses on the Gentiles. And he opens up the doorway of salvation to the Gentiles. And Paul says that until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, God's going to basically let the Jews rest. Now they can they can have um, salva- they can find salvation. There are independent, you know, Jews that will find, you know, families of Jews that will find salvation in Jesus that will will trust in Him for by, in faith, and be saved. But God's interest was in the nation, the nation of Israel, the nation of the, His people. So, when you get to the New Testament, you have God basically hitting the pause button after the crucifixion and you have you know on the Jews and he's looking to the Gentiles and so we're the we are the benefactor of their hardened hearts because I'm not a Jew I'm I'm a Gentile you know I have a little bit of Jew in me somewhere back in there you know but so as a Gentile we that door was opened up for salvation for us so then you have the whole New Testament era the the church age is going through and you have, then you have what's going to be what we call, what I believe will be the fullness of the Gentiles will come in. And then this is where I believe the rapture is going to occur. And what's going to happen is, is Satan is working in conjunction with this timeline as God will permit him because he can't do anything until the restrainer is pulled away. And then he reveals the Antichrist. And once the Antichrist is revealed, he will deceive many. And then God will use the, the tribulation period to bring the Jews back to him and he will save for himself, um, you know, Jews out of the two witnesses, out of the 144,000 Jews that will be witnesses um, through angels that will do, uh, be going through, going through preaching the gospel in every language. And so God's going to gather back up his, his chosen ones, but the church will be gone. The church is going to be gone. The, the, the church largely made up of Gentiles will be gone, removed from the earth because it will be, it will be them that he's focusing on. It'll be the Jewish people that he's focusing on. And this is why Paul said that we would become the envy or we would be je- they would be jealous of us because guess what? When the tribulation period comes and God's focusing on the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, the church isn't going to be here. They're going to wish they were with us. The Bible says in Matthew's gospel, in, in the later chapters, 24, 25 in there, that they will want the rocks and the, the mountains to fall on them. They will actually be praying, you know, f- to die because of that. So this brings me to, I want to help us understand a little bit better too. When you get into, there's two major discourses of the Bible. You've got the 
the um, Olivet Discourse, which is, you know, uh, when Jesus is speaking to the Jewish people. And then you have the Upper Room Discourse, which is found in John's Gospel in the latter chapters, um, 14, 15, 16, in that area. The Olivet Discourse, in, when it talks about the, la- the end of days and all of that, it's talking about the time during the tribulation period. It's not talking about the time leading up to the tribulation period, though a little bit of it is. But when you look in Matthew's Gospel, you've got to remember, Matthew's Gospel was uh, the Gospel that was presented to the Jewish people. And so when you look at, uh, for instance, when you look at the genealogy that's given in Matthew, it, it goes back to Abraham, right? And it shows that Abraham was their father. So it goes back to Abraham, the genealogy. So it's a Jew is going to connect very, very well with that. They're going to identify with that. All, almost all the parables, almost all of the stories that are in there are re- revolving around the Jewish culture, the Jewish people, Jewish heritage in that way. When you get to, you get to um, Luke's gospel, uh, it's connecting Jesus through Adam. And so you have the genealogy record goes all the way back to Adam, and that's to show that you know he's the son of God, that he's the he's he's the he's the son of man. I'm sorry, the son of man coming through all the way. When you get to John's gospel, there isn't a genealogy specific, but there is a connection to God. He says, "In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word was made flesh and made to dwell among us." And so we have Jesus being God. So John's gospel is bringing, so it's like one is connecting to Abraham, one's connecting to Adam, one's connecting to God. And then you have Mark's gospel, which doesn't have any genealogy either. And this is cool. Mark's, Mark's gospel was written to the Greek culture and it was a, it was a slave. It was, and slaves have no, no, hair, no lineage, right? So they don't have any, they don't have any type of um, genealogy before or after. And so when you read Mark's gospel, it's just about what Jesus did. It's so much of like, here he is, the ox, the worker, the one that's, you know, serving, laying down his life. You know, Mark's gospel is that whole slave mentality that uh, he wanted to bring forth, the, the worker of Christ, the work of Christ in that way. And so when you understand the gospels the way they were written and you understand the audience that that was targeted by God through the Holy Spirit when he was writing these gospel messages and you understand what he's telling them, you can see why Matthew's gospel talks about the last days and it talks about the the future in Matthew 24 and 25 and it's ta- I mean it's just like unbelievable um, it's really discouraging when you read it versus when you get to John's gospel, He's speaking to the disciples in the upper room. These are the apostles. These are the guys that are going to be the fathers of the church. And he's telling him a totally different thing. In other words, in John's gospel, I'm just going to look at John 14 real quick because he speaks to, in the upper room, he speaks about how Jesus is the way to the Father. And he's going to reference the Holy Spirit himself. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you? I am not going to. Pre- I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. So Jesus in John's gospel tells tells he's literally addressing this for the church, right? He's saying, "I'm going to prepare a place for you." 
and I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you when it's ready, you know, when it's ready. And then just like everything I told you, I'm going to come back and get you and you'll be with me. And then he goes on a little bit further and he starts to talk about the Holy Spirit and he talks about how the Holy Spirit will be in you and it'll be, it'll not only be with you, but it will be in you. And, you know, John's gospel makes this distinction. And so when you think about the, you know, I used to teach the, the new believers class uh, at Cornerstone back in the day. And um, I used to talk about the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that you look at in the Old Testament versus the New Testament is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was uh, upon people for works. So um, like you would see an example of um, the the uh, King Saul before he was king. Actually, no, he was king in Samuel before David was king. He would go up and then he the Holy Spirit came upon him and he began to prophesy. And, it said, and they said, oh, isn't Saul one of the prophets now? The Holy Spirit came upon him and he prophesied. Or like um, Samson, the Holy Spirit would come upon him and then he would do these great feats of, you know, physical, you know, feats that were, you know, no one could ever do and imagine. Versus the New Testament, when you get into Acts chapter 2, when God pours out his Holy Spirit on the church, and it's not only just upon the church, but it's within us. And we're told in Ephesians that when you become a new creation, like John chapter 3 says, you're, you're now born of the Spirit. When that happens, Paul says in Ephesians chapter uh, 4, he says that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so we're sealed, so it's inside of us now. And this is important, okay? The reason why I'm making this distinction here, and I'm kind of blazing through my notes, so I thought I had way too much, but I'm kind of blazing through. But one of the reasons that I'm making this distinction now about how about the difference between the Olivet Discourse, the Upper Room Discourse, the difference of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, rather being upon and, and within, uh, rather the Holy Spirit, rather the ministry of the last days being that the church is going to be going through it, or whether it's going to be escaping it, well... I believe it's going to be raptured out and escape it. And I think even, you know, if I really want to put, if you put brass tacks to it, I think that the church is going to be raptured before the Antichrist is actually revealed. And um, the reason I say that is because of 2 Thessalonians. And so I'm going to key on this. And that's why I just mentioned about the Holy Spirit being in every believer. So the Holy Spirit's in every believer, right? So in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, it says, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. <laughs> our being gathered to him. It says, We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs, that word rebellion is the Greek word apostasy, till the rebellion occurs, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, when the doom the man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and it will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with when I was with you, I used to tell you tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. 
And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the splendor of his coming. So in that in those couple verses of Second Thessalonians there, you he actually mentions the gathering of believers, and then he talks about a second coming. But the second coming comes to destroy the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is the lawless one. But the Antichrist, the lawless one, is being held back by the restrainer. The restrainer, that's who we need to find out who that is. <laughs> yeah. And when he's when he's removed, that's when he'll be revealed. So I have a so I have a Turner theory. It's not a far out there theory. I think I've heard some other people mention this before, but I think in every generation, God has an Antichrist figure ready to be raised up and revealed. Someone that he'll possess. He's going to do these false wonders through and deceive many. Um, I do, I do believe, you know, like, you know, it could have been, you know, to, to, to use an easy one, it could have been Hitler at one point. Um, you know, it could be, it could be someone. I believe that Satan has a a person that he's ready to possess at at whenever it, whenever it's ready for him to be able to make that next move. He cannot make that move until the restrainer is moved out of the way. So I want to think about this for just a minute. You know, who is the restrainer? Is the restrainer, is the restrainer, you know, um, <laughs> who is it? I think, I'm just going to say, I think it's the church. I think the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. I think the church that is God's body incarnate, we are the body of Christ. You know, Colossians 1 says that we are his body. Uh, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. Until that's removed... Satan can't do what he wants to do. He can't he can't enact his his plan and he can't bring forth the lawless one that you know the antichrist. So I would tend to agree with you because the Holy Spirit is the one that writes God's law on our heart and then the man of lawlessness is standing there without God's law on his heart. He's standing there he's going to convince a lot of people and that's that falling away reminds me honestly of the parable of the, uh, the sower. Yes. Um, Matthew thirteen twenty one. but since they don't have deep roots, they won't last long. They fall away. It's the same word as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So it reminds me of that. That's the kind of falling away language that I, I understand what you're saying about. Like it could be a taking away or it could be a, an actual like apostasy. And I think maybe there'll be all of it. Like I think that there will be, people who are following away because they don't have the Holy Spirit indwelling them. They're maybe going through the motions and they don't actually have yes. God's law written on their hearts. And so they're going to be very easily swayed by the man of lawlessness. who's probably going to look, you know, super great and talk super great, but is going to be completely opposite to what God and the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer are doing in the church. Yeah. Um, so. If you read further down in Second Thessalonians chapter two, there it says, uh, "In the call, coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds mm-hmm. of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every yeah. sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Deceives those yeah. who are perishing. So uh, they perish because they refuse to love the truth, and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion, so that they will be they will believe the lie, and so that." that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. So when you think about this for a minute, so it's not believers who are going to be 
deceived. It's not believers right. who are going to be condemned. Mm-hmm. It's not believe. It's not the church that's going to be fall prey to the antichrist. Now, where yeah. where people get confused, and and I'll help make this straight. And by the way, what you said about the Holy Spirit being like writing the laws on our hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus said this in John's Gospel in the upper room. He said, he says, you will have no need of a teacher. My Spirit will teach you all things. My the Spirit of Truth will lead you in all truth. You know, so we have God's Spirit in us as believers, sealed, never to be taken away. It's sealed in Ephesians. That's one of my, that's one of my tenet verses for eternal security that you can't lose your salvation. You know, in in the Bible, there's two types of people. There's the saved and the unsaved. <laughs> that's it. That's it. You know, so distinctions are very clear. And so mm-hmm. if you're saved, you're born again, you're new. And I talked about this on my Instagram story um, on Friday, actually, about Corinthians. Because I was looking at Corinthians. It was talking about how will you build and all that. And, and y- mm-hmm. you know, the end result was you can be a saved soul with a wasted life, Right. That was the the end result of that. Or you can you can build with costly stuff and have, have lots mm-hmm. of glory, bring lots of glory to the Lord. So, um, anyways, what what I was gonna say is there is that the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is the restrainer, and that's why I believe that the rapture is gonna come as Paul was setting up in First Thessalonians, and then he reminds them in Second Thessalonians, "This is what I told you before." Remember, they said that there were some letters that were given. He goes, "Don't believe these other letters." This is what I told you before. I went over all these things with you, and you there. This is what is going to happen. You're not going to be the ones doomed to destruction. You're not going to be the ones that are going to experience God's wrath. That that I just love that. He says you're not going to be the ones that are going to experience the wrath. The tribulation period is for the Jewish people who had turned their hearts away. They'd hardened their hearts and turned away and rejected Jesus the Messiah the first time. And so God's going to send a powerful delusion. He's going to save some out of the tribulation period. But all of those that are in the tribulation period, that majority that are going to be saved are going to be Jews. Yeah, Gentiles will get saved. They will. You know, there's going to be Jew-Gentile mixed marriages, and the, the Jew will respond, and the Gentile that's married to them will respond, hopefully also. You know what I mean? There's, it's not like he's like saying no Gentiles and only Jews. And like right now, only Gentiles and no Jews, like it's, it's, it's not as clear as that, but it's definitely the focus is right now on the Gentiles. And then it will be a season for us that will be ending. And then there's going to be a season of focus on the Jews and it will be in twofold. The tribulation period is twofold too. It's bringing the Jews back into salvation, but it's also going to be the final judgment of Satan. He's going to finally receive his judgment and his reward for all of his, you know, through history, all of his, you know, that he's done to the world and, and all of that. Now, the confusion, there's some confusion. People say, well, what about persecution then? You know, what about like people being killed and murdered for their faith and all of that? Well, that's nothing new. You know, Jesus told them himself, he says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. <laughs> you know, and he even said that, like I'm going to divide families, mothers and mothers and you know sons and there's fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and sisters and brothers. It says basically the gospel is going to divide, and it's going to cause persecution in the lives of believers. And the early church experienced the worst persecution we've ever seen, but there and there has been persecution continuing through for believers in every generation for the last two thousand years, even to today. There's you know there's Christians who are murdered. 
Um, not so much here in the United States. We don't see it, but it's happening. So it's not like persecution is a sign of the tribulation, right? They talk about the mark of the beast. They talk about all this stuff that's going to happen. All of that is part of the Antichrist's agenda. And I think the church, personally, I, when I read these scriptures, we're going to be gone. And for any person who hears me and says, you're just an escapist. You're just an escapist. You don't, you don't want to, uh, <laughs> you just don't want to face the, the future. And, and don't worry, don't worry, you know, you, you escapist. When, when the rapture doesn't happen, the tribulation happens, I'll, I'll house you. I'll help you. Yeah, you should, number one. Uh, but number two, it's not escapism when you read the doctrines that are given here in First and Second Thessalonians, and you understand the connections with John in the upper room discourse and the the purpose of the church, and then what God's timeline is with the church and His timeline with Israel. And by the way, just because I say that I think that God's focus right now is the church age doesn't mean that the church replaces Israel. I'm not. I'm not in any way saying that. Um, there, I don't believe in um, you know replacement theology. That's that's a heresy. God has a special place for the church, a special place for for the Jews, the Israelites, the people, you know, his chosen ones. And and also too, there is a wonderful uh, passage where Jesus says, "The it's in Mark's gospel." He says, "The first shall be last, and the last shall be first." And it's really cool because when you think about that, he came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles, right? He says, Jesus said, I came, I came first to the lost sheep of Israel and they rejected him. And so then he came secondly to the Gentiles, right? So the, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The last people he came to, the Gentiles, will be the first to find salvation. <laughs> the first that he came to will be the last to find salvation. Well, the way that that plays out is in the book of Revelation when he turns his attention towards Israel and he brings forth the tribulation, the disciplining of the people, and a, a, you know, a judgment, a wrath that comes on. So that's kind of my scriptural and my church history side of things. By the way, I do want to make one note here about church history. According to Dr. Andy Woods, this is actually really cool. He gives he gives um, eight. He has this great book, A Second Look at Second Thessalonians, and he says, "Is it a falling away, a spiritual departure, or a physical rapture?" Like you were just talking about, Rachel. And um, he's, he gives an interesting context here about church history, um, how the early church believed, and why, why did they, um, why doesn't our Bible still have this whole idea of the word rapture or this whole concept of it, and why do they use the word apostasy with the definition of a spiritual falling away rather than a physical removing? And um, it's pretty cool because he says that. Um, he says that uh, when historically uh, the church believed in the rapture doctrine up, you know, very strongly up until about 400 A.D. And what happened was, is, you know, you start the beginnings of the uh, you, you start the beginnings of um, the Catholic Church taking its place and all of that. And then you have the beginnings of the writings of the New Testament being compiled together as you move forward in the 1200s and all that, when you get to the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, they look at it as a spiritual apostasy uh, because those those writers that were translating the Bible, um, they were trying to pin the apostasy on the Catholic Church. 
because they're reformers, right? They thought that the Catholic Church needed to reform back to what it was. And so when you see the inference on that writing in those verses in Thessalonians, they say the great falling away is actually, in Second Thessalonians, the falling away is actually a spiritual apostasy. But the early church before that, the Greek word that they use there, the root word that they use there, is actually the one that talks about the physical departure, the physical separation. And, um, and so that's important to understand is that there was some kind of change that occurred. So when people come to you and say, uh, yeah, you're an escapist, that's just a new theology. It came about in the 1800s. The, the truth is, is that it was actually, it predates that tremendously up in, you know, it was a common belief up until about 400. And then after that, it began to slowly morph into a different understanding of what that meant in Thessalonians. So uh, the earliest church fathers believed in a rapture. They believed that the church would be pulled away before the final wrath or the final judgment of God. Um, so there is an argument also out of Revelation. The word ekklesia in the Greek is the word for church. You see it all the way up into Revelation chapter 3. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, you see the word come up here or the, the phrase come up here at the beginning of chapter four to John. And it says it here's like a great trumpet sound. Um, that coincides perfectly with what you read in first Thessalonians about a great sound or a great trumpet. And after that, you do not see the word ecclesia again <laughs> at all in the book of revelation until the end. So you're not through the entire tribulation period, six, seven, Eight, nine, Revelation, all those chapters, you don't see the word church mentioned at all. So that's important to take note of. It's, you know, like I said, I have some strong arguments, some weaker arguments, and some that are weak too, you know, even weaker than that. But that's one of those things where, like, you don't see it mentioned. It matches with Thessalonians. It was part of the early church thought and belief system. Um, it should go without saying that, okay, yeah, that fits perfectly, you know, in that section. Up there. So, any questions? Anything you want to bring up, Rose? You're just kind of sitting there. I have, I have some questions. Oh, great! Just mostly in this, in the um, timeline-wise, it's been interesting uh, learning about the different, um, well, God's feast that He gave to His people. Um, it's been really interesting seeing what, how they all point to Jesus. Um, and the timeline that they actually point to, because if you think about it, where we are in the timeline between, um, first fruits, which is when Jesus was the first fruits from the grave. Um, so first fruits comes right after Passover. Jesus is the Passover lamb. He died that day and then was first fruits from the grave, which is, um, that's in the springtime. And then in the fall, you have the Feast of Trumpets and then the Festival the festival of Booths. So mm-hmm. the Feast of Trumpets happens, and that traditionally, um, when was, like, the sign in the season for his second coming. Um, and that's why trumpets, that term is used so often in, like, Revelation and Thessalonians, like, that, the shofar you would blow um, is the the concept that's what you're supposed to listen to so if you know the signs and the seasons you will know that we're kind of in that in-between timeline and then the festival of Sukkot is when with booth when 
you would be dwelling in booths outside of your house. You'd be eating, you'd be cooking all of your meals. You'd just be enjoying each other's company. And that is signifying when he will come to live with us again and we'll be living with him. And so that makes me wonder, like, if there is a trumpet sounding and we're caught up in the air, are we caught up to heaven during that time period? Are we caught up in the air and we're going to be in the air with him? Are we going to be caught up as he comes back down to establish the millennial reign? Like that's what's making me wonder, like timeline wise, I'm, I don't have a problem with being caught up um, because you can see the term, but I'm just wondering where will we be? Like where, where will we as the church be? We'll be with him. We will not be away from him anymore. We will always be with the master, but it makes me wonder, are we just going to be with him wherever he goes or will we be, in heaven necessarily because the new Jerusalem is going to be coming down it will. to earth. It will come and down. So, yeah. And then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And I think people forget that we're not just going to go up to heaven and be there. Like heaven is literally going to come down. Like the new right. Jerusalem is going to come down. So that makes me wonder if there is a millennial reign, is Jesus going to come back and all we're all going to come back with him during that time? Or is that going to be, that's what I'm just curious, like yeah. timeline wise, because I hear so many opposing timelines and understanding the symbology behind the Feast of Trumpet Festival of Booth, like so, makes me wonder. So the, let me just interject there. That was why I made that distinction between the Olivet Discourse and the Upper Room mm-hmm. Discourse, because mm-hmm. the Olivet Discourse is talking about a lot of these things that you're mentioning and what it not necessarily the feast necessarily but the jewish people were instructed to remember the feast i mean it it's they're symbolic for them in a lot mm-hmm. of ways um of god's faithfulness of god's promises of you know the future and all of that um but when you so when you think about like what's the what's the difference between the olivet discourse which was speaking to the jewish people remember it was out on the mount of olives on the side of a hillside he was facing the temple area the temple mount you know when they were, you know, they were just across the valley from it, and um, he's speaking about Israel's future in that discourse, versus the church in the upper room discourse, and that's why I think it's important to do a study on those two, those two parts of Scripture between Matthew and John's Gospels, what he says that are different in those two things, and uh, there's a lot of confusion between the rapture and the second coming. A lot of people think that the second coming, they get it mixed up when they start to read scripture, especially when you get in Matthew's gospel. When you read Daniel, when it talks about, you know, the time of the Antichrist that's going to happen, he, and he's referencing in Thessalonians there. You know, he's talking about the man of lawlessness again. Um, a lot of people think, put that, put the church right in the middle of all of that. And so here's my, here's my take on it, is that the rapture will occur, and we will meet him in the air, and he says we're going to get the dead in Christ will raise first. In other words, the the saints of old will 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 rise first, and then those that are alive will meet him in the air. And it's not a touchdown. It's not a when I say touchdown, <laughs> not like Tom Brady. It's not a. It's not like Jesus comes and stands, you know, on the earth and literally, you know, stands there and gathers people. It's literally he flies over. Yeah. So I was gonna say like way. Let me know if this is thing so he actually sort of comes down so the second coming his second coming 
when he establishes the millennial kingdom and reigns and then we have the battle of armageddon after the millennial reign that's like the full second coming and this one during the rapture is like a half coming because he comes down <laughs> to the sky yeah. right yeah right well, is that not it and then we well, go up and then he we fully go back up Well, what it is it's he's removing the restrainer the the meeting him in the air is the holy spirit in the church the church is leaving the earth he's removing the restrainer so that then the lawless one can then come out and then the then you have the seven year tribulation period. Right, right. But Jesus but, comes down during the rapture halfway and then we go yeah. up and meet him because it says we meet him in the clouds. That's right, in the clouds. So that means so the So my thing is is that we'll be with him up there for a minimum of seven years. Yeah. But the rapture is an imminent it's a it's a it's an imminent thing. It, yeah, it could I happen just, at any moment. I was just more so talking about the distinction between like what yeah. Rachel was saying is right. he did, like so the second coming is not the rapture although he does come halfway so right. if you think of right. so that he has like a total of two and a half coming you know <laughs> so like he was here on earth fully right one point five it's, and then one point five right he came right. once and then it's the point five and, and then, then the point five comes down where he meets him rapture. in the sky right. and then we go back up and then finally the second coming. Right. It's not the rapture. It's when he comes down, stays down, establishes his kingdom. Yeah. So two and different I mean, that'll times. be literally like an eye blink. That'll be like literally no time. <laughs> yeah. Just being with him, I feel like. That'd be amazing. Yeah. And and so I think that, and also too, if you do a word study on uh, when Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for you in Matthew chapter 14, like I'm going to prepare a place for you. The word the word usage there, you know, there's a, there's a misunderstanding um and I was really bummed because a lot of people think that that's their mansion. Like, oh, Jesus yeah. is make, building my mansion up in the sky. I'm going to get my mansion, you know. And as much as I want a mansion, the actual wording there uh, is it's brought forth. It's more, <laughs> This is going to sound weird, but it's more like a hotel. We get a temporary, we get a temporary house, a temporary dwelling place in with him. He's, and, and so we have this temporary dwelling place. And the reason for that is because he is going to descend with New Jerusalem. He is going to, there is going to be a thousand year earthly reign, and then he's going to destroy it all, and he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And um, at the end of everything, after Satan is, you know, uh, destroyed. But, um, and this, so this brings me to sort of my last kind of thing that I want to bring up. And I wish I could find it, but Dr. Pentecost, he's got an awesome name, Dr. <laughs> Pentecost. He wrote a, like a 10 part series on the the correlation between or the analogy or the symbolism of the jewish wedding and you know uh jewish yeah. you know wedding and um engagement and wedding and the rapture of the church mm -hmm. and you know jesus speaks of this a little bit when he talks about the virgins you know going mm -hmm. you know going away and waiting and so it goes like this that um you're betrothed to be married in the eyes of the law, you're married. This is why Joseph, when he was betrothed to Mary, he sought to put her away quietly because she became mm -hmm. pregnant. And so when you're betrothed to be married, that it's an engagement really is the closest English or Western way to describe it. Um, you're, the groom is actually, um, he's going away and he's building a house for him and his wife and mm -hmm. she is waiting for him to come back to get her 
And in that time period, a lot of times because of the way it was back then, he would build an addition onto his parents' house. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. they'd either go up with it or out with it or whatever, build a room on the back. or So he'd build this place for him and his wife. And then he would, and this is really cool. And then he would go and uh, he would get it all ready. And he would come back to get her at a time when she was not knowing. So she wouldn't know when he was going to return. It was totally unknown to the bride or the bridal party. So they were basically always ready. They were always ready to hear him come back. And when he would come back, it would be, you know, typically announced with a trumpet sound (laughs) as he Mm -hmm. was approaching to come and get his bride. And then he would get his bride and then they would consummate the marriage. So they would finally be like, we're finally nothing. There's no separation between us. There's the waiting's over. We're finally together. And then it was tradition that the groom would not work for a full year. So during that time, yeah, I know it's great. During that time (laughs) period where he was going away preparing, he was also saving money or whatever. So he could take a year and just dedicate a full year to be him and his wife. They didn't have to worry about, you know, work or finances or whatever. They had a place to live. They could just enjoy a long honeymoon. So to me, when I think about this whole thing, I think when that rapture comes, then the tribulation period is going to kick off. You know, the Antichrist is going to be revealed. Then the tribulation, we got we got a minimum of a seven-year honeymoon with Jesus. <laughs> I know that sounds weird for a guy or whatever, but we are the bride of Christ. I mean, he says the bride of Christ. The church is my bride. So Wait. Wait, what? Are we all transgender now? <laughs> stop I'm it, just dude. Kidding. Stop I'm sorry. it. Dude, come on. So I'm just trying to get that disability. Bible, <laughs> actually, the Bible says that in I heaven know, I, there'll I, be no marriage, no giving in marriage. So that's kind of cool. Sorry, that was a bad joke. But uh, anyways, here's the thing: is that uh, so? This analogy of the wedding ceremony and the way that it, the engagement, the wedding betrothal, and then the the announcement of the groom coming to take the bride at a time when she doesn't know. She was just always ready and waiting. And that's why this whole this other doctrine of doctrine of eminency is so important for the church because when Jesus left, he gave you know the last instructions he gave the church was the Great Commission where he said, "Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation, teaching them to remind remind them of the things I taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit." That's my paraphrase. But basically, we're supposed to go share the gospel with the world, and um, that was that's our one command. Like that's our job as the church. That's what we should be doing: sharing the gospel with the lost with this great good news that God has salvation for them if they want it. You know, it's for them. And uh, so that's our job as we're waiting for him to come. And Paul instructs in many different places in, in the epistles. He says, hey, you should be, you know, eagerly looking for this. You should be hard at work bringing glory to God. You know, he says, like, we shouldn't be lazy. We should be about the business of the, you know, of, of the Lord's work and all of these things. <laughs> And so it's important for us to remember that the doctrine of eminency actually helps us to apply those scriptures because eminency means that at any moment Jesus could return. And you don't get that promise with a mid-trib or a post-trib rapture. You don't get it. There is no you you can't say that the Lord could come at any time because if you're a mid-trib that means the tribulation period has to start. Um and so you have you can't you can't expect him to come back until the tribulation has started already or post-trib you can't even expect them to come back until after it and you don't even know how it's seven years how are you going to know when it's supposed to start and 
you know, all of that. That's why I think God kind of spells it out for us really clearly. First and second Thessalonians, it's about the rapture. The Revelation 3 gives us this perfect, you know, hey, all these letters to the churches, um, you know, and this is what you, the good things about you, the bad things about you, whatever. Then you don't hear the church anymore in chapter after the beginning of chapter four. It's not mentioned ever again till the end. Um, you have the promises that are given us in John's gospel and the upper room discourse about I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back to get you to be with me. It is a promise from God. Um, when you put all these things together, the earliest church history believed in it. The word harpazo, which means to seize, to carry off by force, to claim, to, you know, it, it's just, to me, it's like a pretty clear picture. And the Bible also says that we should encourage one another with these words. In other words, we should remind and encourage one another with these words. When when I'm, when the world's just eating my lunch, things are just not going my way, I should encourage you and you should be encouraged by the fact that Jesus could come at any moment and with him he'll bring you know his rewards and we get the the new body we get this resurrected body as well and Rachel that's what I was going to say to you as well is when we meet him in the air it's a resurrection because the dead will rise first and then those that are alive will meet him as well and we get a new body we get our our rapture body we call it you know and it's going to be our body that's fit for eternity so it won't ever get sick. It won't get old. It will be like Jesus was when he was resurrected in that state. The same body, the same type of body that Adam was originally made with. <laughs> More than likely. Yeah. Before he sinned. That's right. So, but it will be, in, this one will be incorruptible. Right. Yeah. So, we won't be able to. Because it, it won't have the nature of man. It'll right. have God's nature because yeah. of will be made perfect. So um, there was one last Two, two last little examples I want to give from the Old Testament. And, uh, and then that's about all I have. But um, what I wanted to share with you was there's a story out of um, the earliest parts of Genesis. And it's in reference to Enoch. And you see when, when you look at the early genealogies of Genesis, it starts to speak about um, how... Uh, you know, it says it's basically given the genealogies leading up to the flood, and and you have Noah, which was the catalyst point of of God's judgment, His first judgment on the earth, the wrath of God, and you have this character Enoch, who was basically he would have been Noah's grandfather. Enoch was a contemporary of Adam, so for Noah to to he didn't know Adam, but he probably would have heard of him. You know what I mean? Uh, he, yeah. could, he could have known him through his granddad, Enoch. But Enoch, it says that Enoch lived for 365 years. He walked with God, and then he was no more. <laughs> they don't say yeah. that. They don't say that about any other character. And when Melchizedek, uh, is it Melchizedek, the oldest guy in the Bible? Or no, no. Methuselah. Methuselah, that's his name. Methuselah. Methuselah dies the same year that the flood happens. And so... What you see here is that you have this character, Enoch, who is, in my opinion, a, he is symbolic of the church. He walked with God, and then he was no more. He disappeared, and then after he disappears, God pours out his wrath on the earth, but he provides a way out through an ark, which is symbolic mm -hmm. of Jesus himself. Jesus is our ark from the escape of judgment, you know, from God. I love judgment. that story. I just realized this year that, Noah 
found grace in the eyes of, so it's like a picture of salvation because he found grace and that's why he was saved through the judgment. Not even because he was, yes, he was upright, but he wasn't perfect, but he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah. And so then his whole family through that, it kind of reminds me of like Cornelius how, um, and several examples in acts where they, because of their grace, the grace that they found that they received, and then their acceptance of the gospel and then their faithfulness through that result, the rest of their family also came to know. And it's almost like they were also preserved and rescued because of just one person setting the example. So it's, it's just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that kind of reminded me there's uh in the, the, the blue book, the rapture um, that there is points where there was actually and I want to say I'm like 95% sure, but I don't have it in front of me. So I can't use for sure that the same word is used. But it was pointed out that there are there were raptures that did happen, like you said yes. about Enoch. Um, that is a rapture. He was mm-hmm. brought up. He walked yep. with God and then he was no more. Elijah. And Elijah, when he was taken up in the chariot. And also... Philip. Philip, Philip, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. When all of a sudden he's, I Trans- can't remember. Translated, yeah. He was from one city and then he was just put into another one. Yeah. Yeah. So. Raptures aren't strange in scripture. Right. Yeah. So it's not an it, like as a concept of being removed by God, it's in the Bible. Like, I think it, there's seven. Yeah. There's seven, a bunch of like, There's, there's like a bunch seven of them. that this guy I just can't remember the yeah. other ones. Which I never, it blew my mind too, because I'd never really thought of it that way, mm-hmm. you know? It's really cool. And I was going to say, go through the thing that uh, I was talking about before that uh, when Jesus was, because uh, I, I said it wrong. I misremembered it when that there was a rapture with Jesus the first time. Oh, yeah. After the, yeah, uh, yeah. there was a resurrection. Resurrection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people, I don't think they were raptured. They were resurrected. Well, yeah, yeah. But that's uh, again that's like there's other evidence of like when it says you know the dead will be caught up first and stuff like that yeah. during the rapture is it's just more proof that these concepts just didn't exist only in first and second thessalonians like right there are other instances where parts of the thing like you know parts of what happens during the rapture other like parts of the whole existed before that yeah like, yeah there's proof of like the dead rising with Christ. Right. There's the, you know, God removing people and moving them and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Resurrections, raptures, they were happening. Yeah. They ha- yeah. And so was wrath. So was God's judgment. Right. was happening. But so I want to, second one I want to point out is out of the Old Testament as well. And this is out of Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah with Lot. And now if you want to do a crazy study, mm-hmm. you talk about Noah finding grace with God. Lot was not a great dude. He wasn't. And no. <laughs> I mean, he had sex with his daughters. Um, it, it's pretty sad. He had, you know, the result was two two tribes that were developed that became mortal enemies of the Jews, you know, the Israelites later on. Um, Lot was a bad dude. He was not a great guy. But when you read in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, in, in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19, it says that um, these angels come to the, to the town and they're sent there to remove... Mm-hmm you know lot and his family from from the city and he they even say to him hey if you know somebody if you have family go get them and tell them now because we're leaving in the morning we got to get out of here 
And um, and while they're there, kind of giving this message, all of the men come out and the boys, the young men and the men come out and they want to rape these angels. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the, the Bible says they surround the house and Lot comes out and he's trying to talk sense into them. And, uh, and then uh, the angels um, have to rescue him. They pull him into the house and they blind all these guys. And uh, they grope around. They can't find, you know, they end up leaving because of that. And then it says that when Lot goes to find his family and tell his son-in-laws and and people that are related to him, it says that they didn't take him seriously. And, you know, that's important to think about. <laughs> if, if I've, if my witness has been destroyed because of my life, <laughs> then I go to tell them about Jesus. They're not going to take it seriously. Your life matters. How you live your life is a very powerful testimony. And Lot's mm-hmm. Lot's testimony was destroyed because of his life. It says that they actually thought he was joking. They're like, you're kidding. So what happens, though, is some pretty cool. There's some cool stuff that I read about in there. It says that um, when the angels the next day when they went to leave or that night when they went to leave, it says, uh, he says, take your wife and your daughters who are here. Get out right now or you'll be swept away in the destruction of the city. It says, when Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hand in the hands of his wife and two daughters, and they rushed them to safety outside of the city. For the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. And then Lot says, oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life, and you have shown such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there, and I would soon die. See, there is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said. I will grant you your request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry, escape to it, and then this is the key for I cannot for I can do nothing until you arrive there. This is interesting. The angel could not destroy the city until Lot was safe. So he's urging him, he's warning him, look, get out of here, get out of here. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And we know that Lot's wife looks back. Yes, she was instructed not to, she becomes a pillar of salt. Right, she looks back, and uh, but Lot is and his two daughters make it away. But the angel says to him, "I can I can do nothing until you are safe." And so this is a yet to me, it's another example of the wrath of God that's going to come upon the earth, but He can't do what He's going to do until we're safe, until we're pulled out of the situation, until we're removed. Once we're removed, then God can pour out His wrath. He can do what He's going to do. And it's just a demonstration of his faithfulness, not ours. We're not righteous. It's not like we deserve to be rescued. It's that God's mercy and grace has been upon us. But Thessalonians tells us that we are not the ones that are doomed for destruction. We're not the ones that are that it's meant for. Yeah. We're actually recipients of grace, of mercy. And the rapture is such a display of that for us. And I, that's why I was telling you, Rosie, like, and I was like, dude, I've been studying this. I am so jacked right now about the rapture. I am so stoked about this. Like to me, like I can't see it any other way. And and so the imminency of it happening gives me urgency for the gospel work, which mm-hmm. is exciting because now I get to re kind of focus my direction and what I'm doing. Uh, and then I get this hope 
of this great joy of escaping this hell of earth that it will become. And, uh, and I get to be with him. And so that's about all I have. Um, you know, there's probably a few more things. There was one thing, Rachel, I was going to share with you because, um, you were asking about, or you mentioned something. I was just going to read, this is from Dr. Uh, Andy Woods. And he was, he's talking about Bible translators and why the difference that we see. So check this out. It says, the earliest Bible translators all recognized the noun apostasy in 2 Thessalonians 2.3 as communicating physical departure. In fact, Jerome, going back to the 4th century, translated the New Testament from Greek into Latin in, in what is called the Latin Vulgate. Uh, a Vulgate means common language. Latin was the common language of the day. Jerome wanted the Bible readable in the common language of the day, which is which in the 4th century was Latin. Um it says, uh, when Jerome translated the Second Thessalonians chapter two verse three, he used the Latin word uh, decessio, which means departure. It says, consequently, all of the earliest translations similarly translated the Greek noun apostasia in the Second Thessalonians two three as departure or departing. The following English early English Bible translations all translated apostasia. In 2 Thessalonians as Departure, uh, the Wycliffe Bible of 1384, the Tyndale Bible of 1526, the Coverdale Bible of 1535, the Craner Bible of 1539. Similarly, the following early English Bible translations all translated apostasia in 2 Thessalonians as departing first, the, the Breaches Bible of 1576, the Beza Bible of 1583, the Geneva Bible of 1608. Thus, they are all translated this noun apostasia as a physical departure in verse 3a so you see that the earliest ones had it and then he goes on to say that most this is a quote that he pulls out of thomas ice he's a theologian he says most scholars say that no one knows the reason for the translation shift however a plausible theory has been put forth by martin butella in his master of theology thesis uh, produced at dallas seminary in 1998, it appears that the Catholic translation of the English form of Jerome's Latin Vulgate, known as the Reims Bible of 1576, was the first to break the translation trend. Apostasia was revised from the departure to the Protestant revolt, mm -hmm. explains Butala. Revolution is the terminology still in use today when, the Catholicism, when Catholicism teaches the history of the Protestant Reformation. Under this guise, apostasia would refer to, to a departure of Protestant from the Catholic Church. The Catholic translators appear eager to in, engage the, in polemics against Reformation by even allowing it to impact Bible translations. I, I just, so, I'm over here giggling because um, it's like, <laughs> so we, did, we changed it so that we could point to the church. <laughs> The Catholics and be like, "Here's the ones that are yeah. you're you're terrible." And then the Catholics are like, "Yeah, well, we're gonna change it also, right, to show that you are." That's right. <laughs> you you're not part of the one church. I just I just love that that we're both so petty that uh, <laughs> right. And what's sad is that this this doctrine of the rapture gets gets butchered in the meantime. Yeah. You know, this really important doctrine for the church gets just destroyed. And so that's why when I I get a little sad in my heart when I hear really beautiful believers, people I respect and love, just knocking the rapture and mm -hmm. knocking the, the the doctrine of it, and really short, they're really shorting their own faith 
opportunities because they're believing something that they're not going to have to go through. Yeah. That they're not intended to go through, that God never, like, think about it this way. If we are the bride of Christ, why would God let his bride get the crap beat out of her through a tribulation? That he caused. That he caused, well, that he yeah. permitted, and he I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> right? Because there's a different, yeah. I, I, I think it's I would never let example. my wife go through that. I would rescue her out of it. Well, yeah. But I in mean, the meantime, like, if you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, they were preserved through the fire. Like, uh-huh. they, were, they weren't touched by the fire. So even though they were in the middle of it, and if people are getting saved, during that time, does that mean that they will be preserved and wish to be that's raptured? A, yeah, I hear that too. Like, oh, God's going to, the church will remain. They just won't be touched, you know, through it all. But yeah. as I just said, Lot and Lot and you know Enoch are the perfect examples because the entire, yeah, everybody was gone except for eight people, you know, in Noah's boat. So, <laughs> so I was going to say, so God is in the... He's cool with like wiping out a lot of people. <laughs> Genocide, obviously. Uh, <laughs> well, it says there that the reason it's going to happen is because they won't believe. Yeah, yeah. They literally, he, you know, in his in his foreknowledge, he knows that they're not going to believe. He mm-hmm. knows that they have rejected the truth, and so what happens is is he permits a delusion to come. But yeah, Rachel, that's a thing that so like a lot of people say. Oh well, what about if the church is just protected through it all? Um, but that's not what. That's not what Paul's saying in Thessalonians. He's not right. saying the church. Is, I mean, people who get saved after the fact, like oh maybe yeah, who get saved during that well, time period. Here's the crazy thing: the people that get saved during it are gonna a majority mm-hmm. of them are gonna be martyred for their faith. Yeah, that's where the real yeah. and and that's where the blood is gonna cry out from below the altar and say, "How long?" Yeah, it is. How yeah. long? How long, oh God, until you avenge? You know, and then Jesus, you know, God's gonna be like, "Okay, that's enough." Let's roll. Get your sword tongue on. <laughs> and probably a lot of those will be Jewish uh, believers. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, okay. yes. Well, um, I don't know if you have much more, but I was going to say, especially after that, um, you know, it's really easy to not have to worry about any of this stuff either way. <laughs> okay. As if you just. You're going to discount my whole podcast. No, I was going to say, if you just believe like if this is all scary again yeah you can just give your life to christ and then you won't have to worry about it yeah i mean yeah and i mean i hate to say this because i'm a rapture guy but like if it doesn't happen mm-hmm. which it it's gonna happen but if it doesn't <laughs> happen uh i mean i just proved it to you through scripture so yeah. you can doubt the bible if you want but um but uh god's grace is sufficient for all of things yeah you know um so and Paul said to die as gain. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and Philippians yeah. he says, you know, to die as gain. So we get this, we get the better end of the deal. You know, we get to go. We get to go home faster. Yeah, I mean, it does. It's that's true. You know. Yeah. Um, but I was also going to say, yeah. just at the same time, because yeah. I heard uh, this is a big thing. If like, oh, if we're pre-trib, pre-mills. Why are we like stocking up food and guns and all oh, that okay. stuff? I was gonna say, um, you still probably should. Yeah. <laughs> like still do that. Also, A, because it's cool. And it'd <laughs> be you do want to be prepared just in case. Um Well yeah, I mean, look, so here's the thing. Like we did a whole episode on prepping. Yeah. And it wasn't because of the 
tribulation. It was because well, I just I just hear that all the time where right. it's like, oh, so you I guess you're you don't really believe it that much because you're right prepping for you're, the you're you getting know. gold and you're getting guns and you're you know you're yeah, yeah right you know no the truth is I have a family to take care of and mm-hmm. natural disaster and Black Lives Matter and Antifa and the world's in chaos you know we yeah. know that in the last days it's going to become even more chaotic so before the rapture before the rapture yeah absolutely timothy talks about second timothy talks about it very clearly he talks about the last days how everything's you know wrong will be called right right will be called called wrong you know um it's just you know godlessness in the last days mark mm-hmm. this there will be terrible times in the last days that's chapter one chapter three verse one of second mm-hmm. timothy you know terrible times in the last days and so my why why would i like not be prepared at some level yeah you know i have t- i have three kids and a wife um you know i have an obligation from jesus himself to serve protect and pastor my family yeah. you know this is a real deal you know that's why at the you know i'm not gonna lie during the approaching the 20th of january you know i went out and i bought a couple weeks worth of food extra water extra i bought a generator i was trying to buy ammo it was just hard to find i did find some ammo which was nice but you know it's not like i can it's not like one man like eventually you're going to run out of food eventually you're going to run out of ammo (laughs) you know eventually you're going to get overrun it's not like you can stop it you know like so you're telling me if you believe in a mid or post-trib rapture or no rapture that you're going to be able to make it through on your your you know bunker and a month or two of food yeah come on no that's not how it works yeah but that's a great point rosie to be honest though if that happens and there isn't no rapture yeah i'd i wouldn't want to wait wait around for it (laughs) this is terrible i am not made for surviving in a a bunker (laughs) (laughs) especially with no internet or like you know yeah it'd be brutal put me in the front of the line (laughs) yeah I was Let gonna me say, test I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go full uh, the ending of the mist, but because uh, <laughs> it's super depressing. But uh, yeah, the, I don't know. I'll protect. I mean, I'd still protect my family, but yeah. Anyways, right, right. <laughs> oh man, Rachel, anyways. what else? I, I can tell your brains. Like I can see your your uh, gears are turning. I have a lot of. I don't know. I have thoughts. Most of the thoughts that you guys were just talking about was just like, listen, if. Jesus is coming back this year or next year, or maybe he's coming back tomorrow. I'm still going to feed my family. I'm Uh still going to pretend like this week is going to happen because we don't know. We know the season. We know that uh, he is coming back soon. We can see the labor pains happening. We can see all of these things basically increasing with intensity, but it would be irresponsible to not be prepared for the season that we're in. So that's, yeah. I agree with you guys on that. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about the uh, parable of the 10 virgins though, yeah. how five were without oil and we're knocking on the door and we're, he was like, I don't, I don't know you depart from me. Mm-hmm. And the ones who did have the oil and who were prepared are the ones who were ready for him. And that oil is, signifying obedience, living in obedience to what God is calling you to do. If you're not to say that, like, if you profess Christ, you know, and then you were to die and you didn't follow any, anything that he said to do, you know, you're still probably going to go to heaven. But what I'm saying is if your lifestyle is very clearly living in opposition to 
the name of God that you profess. Not only is that taking his name in vain, but you're also not showing that you are saved. So it might not be real. And to the rest of the world, it definitely doesn't look real. So our obedience to Jesus, our obedience to his word and our living our life as if we are married, as if we've taken on his name is so important during this time because we will know without a doubt and the world will know without a doubt that we are the virgins with the oil. We're ready. And it's very clear and it's very obvious. And the other people, you can't, you can't just hop onto somebody else's obedience and, you know, ride on their obedience and get into heaven. Like you, it has to be you, your salvation between you and Jesus. And that obedience is so essential. Um, and I, it's not like the works are going to get you saved, but the works are an outpouring of your love. And you have to, you have to make it clear between you and God that you are choosing to obey him and you're choosing to live your life for him. And, um, but it's not anything that I can tell another person what that looks like. I mean, other than pointing them back to the word. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obedience to God is just obeying the word like that. The word is revealed for that. So it's going to have, mm-hmm. an, it's going to demonstrate, it's going to have a demonstration, yeah. you know, it's going to have uh, how you speak, what you do, you know, mm-hmm. and nobody's perfect in it. That's the whole point of Noah and Lot. Like Lot was mm-hmm. this really ridiculous dude and Noah was no better. I mean, he gets off the ark and he grows a grapevine and gets drunk, right? You know, yep. and so and that whole story is crazy too. By the mm-hmm. way, you know, with the when uh, his son comes <laughs> and sees him nude, uh, and then his mom, yeah. his you know, with his mom, I mean, it's just so crazy. Noah's wife, and so like these, you know, none of us. And Paul, Paul just perfectly, he says, none are righteous, not one, nobody, none of us are righteous. Yeah. We have nothing to bring to the table that God would would um, say, yes, you deserve to be here. Uh, yeah. He only chooses to give us this one standard: is just believe on me, and I will grant you, I will impute you righteousness. Your your position with me will now be righteous, and that righteousness um, it was declared to, through all of creation that you are mine and you're right with me. And and that's the other thing is like Satan, he can't he can't do what he wants to do to the church, right? And so when the church is gone, then he can do what he wants to do. He has nothing left to stop him. So we need to understand our position in Christ in spiritual matters too, when it comes to prayer and warfare and, you know, um, how we, you know, trust in him and live for him and even the way we pray, you know? You know, that's a good point. I was just thinking of this at the same time. So like, even though we're like, we may not have to be prepping for, like the tribulation period when we're like fighting and you know like when it's like blm terrorists <laughs> running over i just pictured them and you know like i'm sitting on the roof with the ak you know like just having to take pot shots at them you know what i mean yeah like so, so we're not going to be dealing with that that might be i mean i was going to say maybe in the leading up but anyways i was going to say even though if we're not in this battle tribulation period that yeah. you know you might think of we are still fighting like i want to say yeah. like right now that there is like guys i got physically ill today 
Um, I got. Because you're old. I know. I know. <laughs> Just kidding. I got physically ill in the sense that my. Um, so I have this condition called diverticulitis. Yeah. And um, it mm-hmm. hasn't been, it hasn't been giving me problems at all, for like two years. It's been really great. I've been really blessed. I woke last night and this morning, and even today, I thought I was gonna cancel. I was sitting up about an hour before you came over, Rosie. I was sitting up on the couch, and my stomach started to knot up really bad. And it's bad. It's a. It's a. It means I've got an infection going on in my, in my intestines. Sexy. It's so sexy. <laughs> but what that means is, I'm. I guess what I'm saying is, I think that there was some kind of spiritual attack mm-hmm. to stop us from wanting to put this podcast out mm-hmm. in the airways. Because it's going to set some people free. It's going to set some people straight. It's going to make some people mad. Some people mm-hmm. are going to stop listening to this podcast and say, oh, they're rapture people. I don't trust them anymore. That's fine. I mean, I, you know, I hate you to see- You made it through 103 episodes. <laughs> I hate to see you go, but I, you know, um, you know, I wish you'd, you know, just do your own research. Mm-hmm. And uh, At least if it inspires you to start digging. Yeah. Just yeah. go dig. And if you're convinced, great. If you're not convinced, at least you were diving into the Bible and actually mm-hmm. seeing it and processing it for yourself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. and you might be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> right. It, and it's not a, it's not a salvation issue. It, like I said before, but it's an important issue. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I'm, yeah, I still have tons of friends that are not, don't believe this. Right. And make right. fun of me for this. And, yeah. uh, that's cool. We're still friends. And, and they can make a really strong argument for mm-hmm. why they believe what they believe. Um, but I'm just telling you what I'm seeing here in this yeah. in the Bible in front of you with the red letters, the black letters, it's convincing me. Yeah. And uh, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. So, Rachel, are you now a pre-trib, pre-mill rapture? Are you a rapture denier, Rachel? Are I am you- not a rapture denier because... Harpazo is definitely there in yes. the Bible, but yeah. I'm 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 still I'm going through all of it as far as like what the timeline is going to look like and you know that kind of thing and yeah. so he's got some solid content. Thank you very much for it. Also, I will hope uh, hopefully um, at least by me being the naysayer in the beginning or at least <laughs> question asker at the beginning, hopefully help uh, if anyone else has similar questions too. Um, they can know that I've been there and your point yeah. is to the podcast. Well, what's fun? That's perfect. Yeah. That's, I was going to say perfect example right here. Yeah. Someone who uh, <laughs> may not agree with us 100% right, right now. And that's right. totally cool. That's totally cool for, for this week. Yeah. It was great to have you on the podcast, Rachel. Uh, and uh, it, Yeah, it was fun while it lasted. <laughs> yeah. um, we're gonna, we're gonna have, we've decided we're going to have to part ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. We'll see you in heaven, maybe. That's, maybe we'll, we'll see probably you. we'll be there before you, but you here, know, there, or in the fun. air. Yeah, <laughs> that was a phrase that when I first got saved, they say, "I'll see you here, there, or in the air." <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, heck yeah. Um, uh, I was gonna say too. Uh, you know, there's probably a ton of questions that we haven't even thought of or haven't been brought to our attention, and it's not like I'm avoiding yeah. anything. I just haven't heard them. Uh, and also too, Rachel, to your defense, you know, I've been kind of, I've been kind of hovering around the same area you are for about a year. Yeah, same here. And, uh, so, you know, and it's because I was listening to some other, Mm -hmm. you know, theological positions on this and, you know, I'm, I'm that type of guy, like I'm open to hear other positions. That's, you know, that's why, you know, that really was what helped me move from, 
you know, there was a point in my theological history where I believed you could lose your salvation. Uh, when I first got saved, then I met some Calvinists and they really biblically showed me like scripturally, like this is not, that's not, Bible, that's not the Bible. It wasn't to become a Calvinist. It was because I'm not a Calvinist, uh, but it was, I am reformed in the sense that I'm Protestant, mm-hmm. but um, it was, it was really just making clear a doctrine of salvation, an issue of salvation. And so now I can confidently say that through the scriptures, I can, I can come to a conclusion that you are eternally saved when you're born again. And, um, you know, that's, I'm, I'm happy to say it, you know what I mean? But there wasn't a time when I believed that. I was going to say at the same time, um, yeah, like the positions change all the time. Understanding of God changes. I mean, just my understanding of God, I've changed positions that I've held just from doing the show. What about Heiser? Heiser. Just Huge. Just Dr. Blew, Heiser. blew my mind. Yeah. I completely. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, so, I was that emoji. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, that's okay. And I was going to say, there's a, it's interesting. They always, uh, I don't know. I don't hear too much anymore. Maybe it's just, I just don't hear it. As in, I physically don't listen to people that say stuff like that. But like doubting faith or doubting an aspect of faith is God's big enough and he's, yeah, he can handle your doubts. And um, I was going to say, even if like kind of going back to like the prayer thing, um, like you can pray that God, if this is something you're really struggling with, yeah. Like pray to God, say like, Hey, I don't help me, help me either quell like any fears that I have about the end times, yeah. about the rapture of being left behind, you know, or, you know, anything like that. Like, I just want to say like, it's okay to doubt certain if you're working on it. Like, yeah, the if, it's not like, faith and doubt are complete opposite ends of the spectrum like doubt comes it's closer to to faith because you're it is it has to be you're working through stuff to figure it out that's right it has to be yeah yeah cool man well this is fun yeah this was fun now i had mentioned on our instagram story that we would be doing one on the nar and all that stuff and we were kind of working on that a little bit we had a guest that we had invited on but then that person kind of never really responded to our, don't, don't put up a blast uh, just I'm say not, we, I'm we not, didn't have a guest yeah we, <laughs> i wanted to have a guest because we had a really cool story of, in connection with the nar movement and um and it would have helped to in that theological discussion you know and i'm just i want to say we haven't done a theological podcast mm-hmm. in a while mm-hmm. it's been a while and it felt yeah. good. It felt like church a little bit up in here in this room. I had my hands raised the whole time. You did, man. I saw them. Holy hands raised. I had to mute myself because I kept going, amen. Amen. Preach your brother. Oh, I thought you were speaking in tongues there for a second. Oh, I freaking. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Don't get a different. Whole nother episode. Whole nother episode. <laughs> Uh, blah 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 blah. Sorry, don't, that, don't I'm not mock, making fun of it. Yeah, don't, I'm don't sorry. mock the spiritual yeah, gifts no, no, now. No, no, Come no, on, no, no, no. Come it's on, brother. Just joking. I'm just joking. Yeah. All right. So we got some other cool stuff coming up in the yeah. future here. Uh, I know Rose, you'll be traveling here soon, and mm-hmm. some stuff going on. So we might miss a week or two, but we'll be back. We got some good stuff on the plans. We got to get La Marzuli back on because yeah. his things back is out now. His new projects. Out. I was gonna say, you know what? If we're not going to be back next week, calm down. You guys got freaking hour and 50-minute podcast. Yeah, you got an hour and 50-minute <laughs> podcast. <laughs> this should tide you over. <laughs> listen to it in pieces. Yeah, listen to a little bit here and there. 
Anyways, anybody else want to add anything as we shut this thing down? Nope. No. I don't think so. Go nope. Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Smoking that sticky, sticky green stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's been a while, yeah. man. It's been a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So the Super if, Bowl- if you smoke, just for the record, though, you know what I'm saying? You can doubt and stuff. Yeah. If you smoke weed, you're going to go to hell and you're, not, you're going to lose your <laughs> salvation. Come on, Rosie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're just kidding. Uh, Don't make me start talking. Otherwise, it's going to be another hour and a half on this podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're going to have a weed episode. All right. No. All right, guys. All right. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on All Out War. See ya. See ya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>